Chapter Twenty Three of the Riddle of the Purple Emperor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. The Riddle of the Purple Emperor by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. Chapter Twenty Three. Untwisting the Threads. In the big uncurtained ballroom of Chain Court the next morning. A plentiful gathering assembled for the inquest which had been postponed from the week before, and Mr. Narkom, who had entered with Cleek and a number of strangers, that to an observant eye would have revealed themselves as plain-clothes men, watched the entry of every newcomer with almost morbid expectancy. Early arrivals were Lady Brenton and Sir Edgar, who at Cleek's request had returned from town that same morning, after a presumably futile search for any trace of Lady Margaret. The boy's face was lined and anxious, his nerves evidently strained to breaking point. Close beside him sat Lady Brenton, her arm clenched tight in his, and Cleek smiled a little as he noticed that she wore a gold scarf, obviously the one which had been given such unwonted publicity the preceding week. It was not exactly morning attire, but she had evidently worn it in defiance of all gossip. Jennifer Wynne and her brother were there too, pale both of them, with eyes that told a tale of sleepless nights. Close beside them stood the immaculate, dapper figure of Gunga Dahl, his dark eyes flashing from one face to the other, and lingering with a little smile on the perturbed countenance of Lady Brenton. It seemed as though he were quite satisfied with his work. For a little while Cleek appeared to take no notice whatsoever of his surroundings, and it was not until the coroner had got through the preliminaries of the inquest and proposed calling a witness that Cleek roused himself from his reverie, and said in a clear, incisive voice, "'Witnesses are unnecessary, Mr. Coroner, for I will venture to call on the murderer himself.' Had a bombshell fallen near the assembly, it could not have caused more consternation. And Cleek, as he took the centre of the room, let the queer one-sided smile travel up his face. There was a theatrical touch in this announcement which pleased him considerably. Yes, one murderer, he continued. The other, fortunately, is dead. No, Mr. Wynne, he continued rapidly. Please don't try to get to that door. They are all guarded, and the windows too. So if you don't mind. Suddenly he leapt swiftly in Bobby Wynne's direction. The startled young man was standing as if rooted to the spot, powerless with terror to move a step further. But with a spring, Cleek bore down upon the figure of the man who was sitting smiling and complacent beside him the figure of the Hindu, Gunga Dahl. "'Got you, you beauty! Got you!' he exclaimed as the man tried to fight him off. "'Thought to evade justice by casting the blame upon another, eh? 
but you came to the wrong person this time. Here, Petrie, Hammond, snap the bracelets on him, for he's as slippery as the proverbial eel, and I've no desire to have my wrists broken. That's it. Now the fish is caught at last. The game's up, Jimmy, my lad. Speaking, he bent forward and stared into the man's dark, furious face. As he did so, the man's lips opened, and from his mouth issued a stream of cockney vituperation which would have shamed a Billingsgate barrow-holder. "'Here, what are you getting at, Blaster?' ended up the erstwhile Gungadal as his breath failed him. "'And why does you call me Jimmy? Just like your blooming cheek, damn you!' "'And just like my blooming knowledge, too, my friend,' responded Cleek, with a little harsh laugh. "'I don't forget friends quite so soon as you do, Blake. Remember me now?' Of a sudden his features writhed, twisted, altered, and the man whom he addressed as Blake, looking up into his eyes, turned white and shrank back with a sudden overpowering fear. "'Gawd, the cracksman!' he ejaculated, and his head fell forward upon his breast. "'Yes, and now just Cleek of Scotland Yard.' "'Cleek!' exclaimed the coroner in amazement, and the name echoed from every mouth in that crowded room. Just Cleek, was the reply. Suddenly Blake's face underwent a change. I don't care who you are, blast you. I haven't done nothing but get up as an Indian, and there's nothing criminal in that. No, my friend, said Cleek quietly. But there is in murder, and when it comes to killing your own brother, what's that? Oh, yes, it is. I know the dead man now. Sam Blake, tipster and member of the Pentacle Club. And you? You are James Blake, head of the club, the biggest gang of jewel thieves in the world. It's a lie! shrieked the man. I am not! I did not kill him! You did! flung back Cleek. You killed him with a little white pellet of prussic acid. I dare say, yes, they are. His deft fingers felt in one of the resisting man's pockets. With a little gasp of triumph, he held up a small box, and opening the lid showed about a dozen white pellets, similar to the fragment found in the mouth of the dead man. His face grew tense and grim as he surveyed them. "'See, here is the weapon,' he said. "'And if you want further proof, I have it here in fingerprints. These are the official prints of James Blake, and they correspond to the marks on the dead man's throat. One more thing, the footprints—' Diving into his pocket— Cleek produced the roll of papers over which Dollops had taken such care. "'See,' he said in sharp tones, 
These are the marks of the footprints which led direct from the body itself. These, too, are the footprints which I found in Miss Jennifer Wynne's garden at the foot of a certain window. To make things more sure, I think you will find that this— he held up a scrap of grey tweed material— is proof that this interesting gentleman climbed up by means of the wisteria plant and obtained the prussic acid and magnesia from old Dr. Wynne's surgery. A startled cry burst from the lips of the brother and sister, and their eyes met with such a mutually significant look that a little smile crept into Cleek's eyes for a moment. It so obviously explained the situation between them. Each had suspected the other, and each had wished to shield the other. Then Cleek turned his gaze back to the prisoner, who was a picture of sullen dejection. "'There is one more overwhelming proof of my story,' Cleek said, and taking out his notebook he scribbled something rapidly. Then, detaching a leaf, he continued, "'If Mr. Narkom will fetch it, and if I am right, I do not think Mr. Coroner need hesitate any further.' Mr. Narkom gave but one glance at the scrap of paper in his hand, but those standing near him heard his exclamation of astonishment. Then he was gone, and attention was once more riveted on Cleek's slim figure. "'You made a mistake, my friend, in drawing my attention to the gold scarves last week, for I knew that you lied in saying that you had given Lady Margaret that scarf.' It was her father's gift, not yours. So your effort to draw a red herring across the path was a failure, continued that gentleman as he peered into the face of the prisoner. You made a bigger one today in leaving off that seal ring which left its mark on your brother's throat last week. A string of vile expletives followed this statement as the bound man strove feebly to wrench his hand from the firm grasp which held it. At this a little cry burst from the lips of Dr. Verrill, and again Cleek smiled. You jumped to the conclusion too quickly that it was Miss Jennifer's ring, Doctor, he said softly. Not even a strong woman could have subjugated a man like Blake. Dr. Verrill gave a little groan as he met Cleek's quizzical eyes, but Jennifer, who was standing near, stared at him in open-mouthed amazement. Then she said, almost under her breath, Oh, Edgar, you thought that I, that it was poor old dad's ring on my hand. Is that why you wanted me to put it away? Swiftly Dr. Verrill turned to her, and even as he did so, the attention of the people around was speedily withdrawn, for the door of the room was opened, and Mr. Narkom stood in the doorway. Was I right? said Cleek, a trifle anxiously. "'Right as a trivet,' was the complacent reply, "'and here she is.' He stepped aside, 
and then a cry arose, for framed in the doorway, pale and worn but otherwise unharmed, stood the missing heiress, Lady Margaret Chain herself. A scramble ensued, but it was Sir Edgar who reached her first, and disregarding the surging crowd around them, gathered her bodily into his arms. "'Margaret, my darling!' he said, in a choked, broken voice. Cleek smiled. "'You found her where I said?' he asked, addressing the superintendent, who stood breathless but triumphant beside him. "'Yes,' said he, briskly. "'She was in Gungadal's house, and bound and gagged, poor child, although she seems to have recovered herself very well now.' He smiled at her as she stood, crimson and shy, beside the upright figure of her lover, and she gave him a smile in return. "'Yes,' she said in a soft voice, looking up into Sir Edgar's eyes. "'I am perfectly recovered, thank you.' "'No, Edgar, you mustn't.' As that gentleman sprang forward in Gunga Dahl's direction, and made as if to attack him. He will meet with the justice he deserves, dear, soon enough. Well said, threw in Cleek, with an approving smile at this philosophical young person. I agree with Sir Edgar's sentiments, Lady Margaret, so long as they remain sentiments and nothing else. But now what about that story which we are all waiting so breathlessly for? Do you feel up to relating your adventures? just to clear away the curiosity which I see written on every face. He set a chair for her, and she thanked him with a gesture. Seating herself, she blushed crimson at the sight of the crowd that surrounded her. "'Of course I will tell you my story,' she began in a low voice. "'But first of all I want you to believe that I did not kill that man. I truly did not.' "'What man, my dear young lady?' asked the startled coroner before anyone else could speak. "'Why, the man who impersonated my poor aunt,' she responded tearfully. "'But Mr. Dahl said everybody was looking for me, and he intended to take me out of the country. I did not want to go. It is all too wicked.' She clung, trembling, to Sir Edgar who was divided between his longing to wreak his vengeance on the prisoner, who stood sullen and discomfited, and his efforts to restore Lady Margaret. "'You need not fear any trouble on that score, Lady Margaret,' said Cleek quietly, smiling at her. "'It was Gongadal himself who murdered the man, his own brother. And all we want to find out is how your scarf came to be involved. When did you discover the trick that had been played? I never thought of there being any trick, she said with a little shiver. Poor Auntie was always very queer and undemonstrative, even when I was a child, and, too, she always disliked me. That was why she kept me so long at school. So I never thought of its being anyone else till I came down to meet Edgar on the terrace. Then the sound of the laughter, and all men's laughter, 
caused me to look into the room. When I saw what I had believed to be my aunt, with her wig half off, smoking a big cigar and holding up my jewels. She broke off with a little shudder, and Ailsa Lorne, who stood near, leaned forward and took Lady Margaret's shaking hand into her own. What happened afterward, Lady Margaret? Cleek then asked. Can you tell us? It is necessary evidence, you know. Yes, she said bravely. They gagged me and bound my eyes and laid me on a couch in the ballroom. I don't know what happened then, but I found myself at last in the wine cellar with the servant Aggie keeping watch over me. Seemed ages and ages before Gongadal came to me, and while Aggie was sleeping, she had been drinking all the time she was with me. He got me through the window and out into the lane where he had a carriage waiting. He said he was going to drive me to Lady Brenton, but when I found he was not, I got frightened and wondered if you had got the bit of paper I slipped from the window when I saw you. Did you get it? She turned to Ailsa, who nodded. Yes, dear, and gave it to Sir Edgar. Oh, I am so glad, she said in a broken voice. Well, after that he drove me to his own house and promised to fetch Lady Brenton to me. The devil! burst out Sir Edgar impetuously, his face crimson with fury, his whole figure shaking. As if he couldn't have brought you direct to us if he had wanted to. I never thought of that, she responded. All I thought of was getting away from Cheyne Court. He said then that all the countryside was looking for me as I was accused of having murdered that awful creature whom I had believed to be my aunt. I wanted to confront them, but he wouldn't let me go. At last, he said, if I would give him my gold scarf, it would be the means of setting me free. A little one-sided smile crept up Cleek's face as he listened to the girlish recital. "'A clever devil,' he ejaculated. "'He went straight back to Blake, "'not knowing, perhaps, that the jewels were already in their possession, "'and took the scarf as a proof that he had Lady Margaret in his power.' "'Then he turned on his heel and faced the prisoner. "'Come, Blake, own up the truth. "'It will serve you best.' The prisoner scowled blackly and stared into Cleek's eyes with hatred in his own. "'What's the good?' he muttered angrily. "'You seem to know it all just as if you were there. It's true enough. I went to Sam, who had no business to have acted without me, and told him I'd got the girl and would let on to the police if he didn't give me a share. I didn't know it wasn't the old girl herself.' till the day before, when I followed them up to London, and then I recognised Sammy. Considering I had been away in Paris for over a year, planning how to get hold of them jewels, and even joined up with that there crowd of Hindu niggers in order to have assistance, 
They only wanted the Purple Emperor, said I could have what I liked if I happened to get that without their having to take life. Well, it isn't surprising that I didn't mean to be bested by Sam and his pals. Cleek nodded as if in approval, though it was really the proof of the correctness of his own theories that caused the unconscious movement. But the law was one too many for both of you, Jimmy, my lad, he interrupted, and you came to grief at last. But what I want to know is how did you get into Chain Court? Through a secret entrance hidden in the wall, if you wants to know, replied James Blake sullenly. Might as well know it first as last. There's a hole in the dried-up moat what leads to the foundations, and I happened to discover it when I was hiding there. So I nipped in and then stumbled upon Lady Margaret lying in the cellar, and saw it was a chance to get even with Sammy. But he only laughed at me when I said I'd got her, and told me I'd never find the jewels where he did them. Blast him, I never have. But we came to blows then, and he clutched at the scarf I held, and nicked a piece out of it, just as he fell. And I scuttled upstairs and threw it back into the girl's room, and that's all the blooming story. Back into her room! ejaculated Sir Edgar furiously at the end of this recital. So he threw suspicion on my dear girl. Well, I'll wring his damned neck for him as a little return for his trouble. He leapt forward, but Cleek caught at his shoulder, and with a smile drew him back. A very creditable performance, my friend, said he serenely, but I don't think I should carry it out. As Lady Margaret herself suggested, the law will take its course and mete out full justice. Meanwhile, there is still more work to be done. This part of the case is clear enough. This man, James Blake is his right name, although we have all known him as Gunga Dahl, is the head of the Pentacle Club. And the murdered man, Sam, his brother, was also a member of the gang. As you see, it has been a deeply laid plot on their part to secure that ill-fated The Purple Emperor, and as I have long imagined, the Hindu priests are still on its track. When I went up to London to find out about James Blake, I learned by chance of the existence of this brother, and then I knew what had happened. There is no doubt, as I shall prove to you, that Sam had made ingenious arrangements to get the jewels safely away before the return of his brother, and it was the knowledge of a safe hiding-place which led him to be defiant, and that was obviously the cause of his death. However, there is one thing to console ourselves with, and that is that he but anticipated the law. There is little doubt that he was the murderer of Miss Cheyne, and also the perpetrator of another crime in the east of London, the murder of an old clo-woman. He stabbed her to death for a bundle of second-hand clothing and a wig. That shows the nature of the man, doesn't it? But that is the way he obtained the clothing to dress his part. 
and the little second-hand clothes dealer's case passed out of the public eye under the screen of found murdered by person or persons unknown. But her death and Miss Chain's are avenged. We have Mr. James Blake to thank for that. He paused a moment and looked about him at the expectant faces of the audience, then bent and whispered something to Mr. Narkom, who nodded vigorously and spoke to the coroner. Then Cleek spoke again. I don't think there is anything more to be done now, so far as the public is concerned, he said in a clear voice which penetrated to the ends of the crowded room, and I think they may safely consider the case at an end. I shall be glad, therefore, if they will leave this room as quickly and as quietly as possible. They left forthwith as the prisoner was led away, but once out in the spring sunshine, it came to them suddenly that that very clever gentleman had left off at the most critical point, and that the hiding-place of the famous chain-court jewels had never been revealed. End of chapter 23